now Mullally once of the Leeds uh, club and that ball finds Letelli and Ricky Letelli is a danger he is a threat in this Toronto side the Casper Tigers again 2020 was supposed to be a big year for the Toronto Wolfpack comes the other way McCrone and uh, Wallace and it's on to Maloudi Maloudi a nice kick for Kay can Kay get there first he can and the first try for Toronto in Super League goes to Liam Kay a try machine in the championship and he gets Toronto underway in Super League. Maloudi with a delicate kick. McDermott already issuing instructions. This was their first season competing in Super League, the top-level professional rugby league competition. And just last November, the Wolfpack signed one of the biggest rugby stars on the planet in Sonny Bill Williams. And today in the UK, the official announcement he's coming to play for the Toronto Wolfpack, a team that recently got promoted to the top tier Super League. I'm really grateful and blessed for this opportunity. What better, I guess, pressure environment would you want to test yourself? Unfortunately, Toronto fans never got to see Sonny Bill Williams as the 2020 Super League was suspended due to the COVID-19 outbreak in the UK. It was just a few months ago when the Lamport Stadium was filled with fans cheering on the Toronto Wolfpack as they won the million pound game. They're now in England playing in the Super League, but just like many sporting leagues around the world, their season is on hold over COVID-19 concerns. But now as sports are beginning to return, or are in the process of returning, many teams are trying to find ways of providing a safer in-arena experience for their fans with the help of tracking technology. Bob Hunter is the chairman and CEO of the Toronto Wolfpack, and Wayne Lloyd is the CEO of Blockchain's Holdings. They join the Sports on Pause podcast to discuss their unique partnership in something we might be seeing in a sports venue near you. Well, Donovan, I'm um, particularly interested in this episode because I think technology will be one of the ways to head forward or to help get us past that is indeed the right phrasing, COVID-19. And I think one of the things we're going to have to see when it comes to fans returning to arenas and stadiums is some kind of way to monitor the safety of this, whether it's temperature checks, whether it's some kind of devices where you check in and you're able to manage social distancing, manage contact tracing, it's a little bit invasive, but I think ultimately that is, at least in the short term, where we're heading in sports. Yeah, I love the fact that you used the word invasive, because that's literally the word that was at the forefront of my mind when I thought about this. Because when we talk about technology and people, the first questions people are starting to have now more and more is privacy. And I'm, I'm not that private, and maybe I just live a boring life. I don't really care. People know what I'm Google searching because, I don't know, I guess I'm not up to anything nefarious. However, when it comes to health, I really want technology to help me be healthy, but will you use that technology to see what I'm ordering from a specific app and what my diet is like and then use those factors against me when I'm trying to get an insurance premium? All of these types of questions are fascinating and that's why I would love to hear how they're going to use this device to help people stay healthy but give them the power to know that they're not going to have it used against them. And that brings us to our first guest. It's Bob Hunter, the chairman and CEO of the Toronto Wolfpack. So sports teams and leagues are facing 
all similar dilemmas. They want to make sure the players, their staff, their fans can congregate safely, but they also want to make sure that they can be a better advocate and maybe benefit to get through these tough times for the greater community. And that's why what the Toronto Wolfpack are doing is pretty fascinating. To talk about it, we talked to the chairman and CEO of the Wolfpack, Bob Hunter, and leagues and teams have lots of partnerships and they're often mutually beneficial. Your partnership with TraceSafe, it's actually not only mutually beneficial, it's beneficial for everyone. Talk to me about the genesis of how you guys came to the point where you were going to partner with a company that was going to do contract tracing. Well, in fact, um, David Argyle, our, our owner, knew uh, James Passan, who was one of the, the lead guys with TraceSafe. And uh, they knew each other just from past business doings. Uh, David is always sort of out there leading edge on uh, new technology options and opportunity. And obviously, as a sports team owner, um, when he found out what uh, James was up to with TraceSafe, there was an immediate connection. I mean, pretty quick, a couple of weeks ago, we got into the details with them about it. And I think came to a quick conclusion that, you know, once the governments allow us to come back, that this would be a uh, very safe and viable option for maybe even getting an earlier start date. Bob, um, as best you can in layman's terms, could you explain how this would work for those who are coming in to watch your product at Lamport Stadium? Yes. I mean, upon entry at a specific gate that would be assigned to your ticket, um, you would pick up a bracelet, trace safe bracelet. Um, it would then be synced to your phone. You would sync it to your phone. And uh, then everyone in the stadium thus has a bracelet and is um, sort of in the software, to put it that way, you know, privacy 100% protected. And then should post-game, we become aware of a fan who has COVID, um, we could then via text to a code that you personally have established on your phone, text you back and let you know that you have been potentially exposed and should take the appropriate action. So again, it's an honor system. The, uh, the bracelets are, are good for at least two weeks, probably three at best. And um, so you could use it to two or three games. That way, you know, that um, it defers the cost. But overall, it does allow us to notify fans uh, that they have been uh, in contact or proximity to somebody who has now tested positive. You mentioned the term appropriate action, which is, I feel like, the issue that all teams and leagues are, are facing. How do they put measures in place to make sure that everyone is safe? What has your club specifically had to do, and as well, the Transatlantic Rugby League had to do to make sure that the working environments now and moving forward will be safe? Well, I think it's just a matter of a whole new uh, protocol, Donovan. I mean, be it from player travel to player uh, accommodation to, you know, the way that we sanitize the stadium on a, on a regular basis. I mean, it's a whole different world up there with new 
total levels of sanitation and hygiene. And I think even from, you know, practice protocols to just overall player testing. I mean, the whole testing protocol that all teams are going to have to go through until this thing is behind us is very elaborate, very frequent, and very expensive. So, you know, those um, procedures, those policies, and those protocols, I say, are, are all just coming together. I mean, we've had three very, very extensive documents come out of our league just telling us what the training new protocols will be as our players get back to training. You're in a unique position in that your players are global. So you would know better than me, but sort of theoretically could live across the globe. That really presents some interesting challenges given each country in the world sort of has its own, you know, it's dealing with its own particular issues with COVID-19 outbreak. It's dealing with its own particular issues when it comes to travel. And then, of course, specifically when it comes to Canada, where the Wolfpack are located, we in this country right now um, have a requirement where if you do enter the country, you must isolate yourself, quarantine yourself for 14 days. This is something that I imagine you never would have expected as a chief executive. And I wonder if you could just give us perspective on how you are navigating this, uh, given that you are a global product. Well, thank you. Um, I would say it's almost daily discussions. You know, to your point, we have two, even three different challenges. One is we're dealing with two Department of Health systems in two very large countries. And the curve, as I put it, in those countries is very different. So, you know, what may be happening in Canada um, may not be happening in the UK at the moment and vice versa as it relates to reopening. So we've got two countries' policies and procedures to manage and certainly aren't flying frequently at the moment. And thirdly, as you say, the whole protocol, both going into the UK relative to quarantine policies and into Canada currently. So, you know, we can't bring a team over here to play in an empty stadium and then expect them to, to stay for two weeks. So until such time as that specific issue is relaxed in both countries, our guys will probably stay and play in the UK. You mentioned you can't bring a team over here to ask them to play in an empty stadium and then sit for two weeks. Let's say they didn't have to sit for two weeks. The business model, does your business model work even if you were playing games in an empty stadium and the fact that a team had to sit for two weeks wasn't an issue? Uh, not really, Donovan, to be quite honest with you. At the end of the day, it wouldn't make sense. And so while both here and or in the UK, we are forced to play without fans, the intent would be that we would find neutral sites in the UK to play our home games because it just it doesn't make any sense. Logistics are just too challenging. Costs are, are prohibitive. And um, obviously, there's no ticket revenue that you enjoy with an empty stadium. Bob, can you give us a, sort of a sense of how other clubs in your division, your organization are handling this? And obviously, we're talking about clubs that are, uh, once again, global clubs. 
Yes, I mean, ourselves and um, our, our partners in crime in France, uh, the Catalan Dragons, I mean, we are unique as it relates to the other uh, 10 teams in our league from the uh, challenges that we've already talked about. On a homegrown basis, you know, the UK clubs have, you know, really had a hard time financially. Um, although television revenue is a very significant piece of the uh, annual revenue streams, um, you know, consideration is is being given right now as to the number of games that we can actually get in and whether we'll, we'll actually truly enjoy that full year of revenue. Uh, the other part is, you know, ticket revenue, um, maybe not so much in the NHL or NBA, but ticket revenue is a very big piece of the revenue streams. So we have and successfully and, and with, I would say, reluctance, gotten the players to take a 50% pay cut across the board for the entire season, whether we play 22 games, no games, empty stadium games, whatever. So the players did step up to help out the teams. But I would just say that everybody's basically laid off their employees. Players took that pay cut and every team in the UK is trying to keep their costs at an absolute minimum. The league did apply and, and we're successful in getting a loan from the government, the UK government, um, but that loan really only impacts teams once we start playing again. And so, um, you know, there is some help there. It's going to be a tough year, as I say, no games, 20 games, full season. It's going to be a very tough year. One of those players you mentioned is Sonny Bill Williams, who many people were excited to see. Now, they very well most likely won't see him in person. The team had such great momentum off of the success it had over the last couple seasons, and that signing really added to that momentum, not just with that transaction, but what it was going to do for you moving forward. How much of a hit has this global pandemic put into the momentum that a Sonny Bill Williams was going to help to bring to the club? Well, um, disappointingly, Donovan, um, I think a lot. We don't know yet, really, because, again, we, we don't know yet whether we'll be able to play any games over here or not. I mean, certainly one of the most disappointing parts of it is that nobody gets to see Sonny Bill live, and uh, he is truly a, a pretty amazing athlete. But you know, in the fall after winning the grand final, you know, we really got some great media coverage, you know, we, and I like to say we started to make some noise in Toronto. The follow-up to that was obviously the signing of Sonny Bill on the 1st of November. And, uh, you know, just even we saw it in season's tickets, we saw it in merchandise, we saw it in sponsors who are more interested in being a part of our, our organization, supporting our organization. So the momentum was certainly all headed in the right direction. And um, we had a slow start to the season, uh, win-wise, but I think everyone knew that it was going to take some time. It's a much different game at Super League level. And then it all came to, as the rest of the world, a grinding halt, and that was pretty disappointing. So I would just say our challenge is much greater than it was, that we've got to continue to build the profile of the team and build the excitement and, and fan base and um, we just got to do it with people back in Lamport Stadium. Bob, it's a, it's a rare position when I find myself feeling sympathy for any CEO or executive in sports. <laughs> but we are in uh, uncharted waters here. 
And I want to get your sense, because I think this is really, really a tricky challenge for you. When the point comes, and this is something we all want, for the games to resume with fans, how are you thinking in terms of ticket pricing? Because there would be, in my opinion, sort of two schools of thought. One, you of course would want to try to recoup revenue for the the games you missed and and want to charge accordingly. At the same time, and Bob, you're a bright guy, you know that there are going to be people for a long time reticent to be in a stadium with other people, even with social distancing and everything else. So I wonder just in terms of um, you know, how you're navigating that kind of thought process because you know, you and all the other millions of executives who have uh, sports teams. So one of the many, many questions that you're going to have to figure out as we, uh, as we hopefully head, uh, head past this pandemic. I certainly can't speak on behalf of the other teams, um, both in our city and around North America, the world. But I don't think, and I have not heard amongst 11 other owners in the Super League, that they think that they're going to be able to recover their losses through price increases, be it a beer or be it a, a premium ticket or or whatever. I, th- I think, you know, we, we I must admit, we, we really haven't talked about any price increases for next season. Um, so unless there is a really significant increase in our expenses for living in a COVID-19 post-era, I mean, I don't see it right now, but besides the additional sort of cleaning that you would do, uh, the sanitation you would do, if I mean, as an example, if we are only allowed to have 3,000 people in the stadium at one time, then obviously that's something that we would have to look at. But I don't think you can place the burden of this pandemic at the feet of our fans. And um, our, our tickets are... if you buy season's tickets, and they're $35 if you walk up. So where can we take those? I mean, we're not going to go to $50. I'm going to go to $75. I mean, I think, again, that uh, our ownership group is really ready to absorb the loss of 2020 and and, um, write it off to the pandemic. So you absorb that loss, as everyone is, but all companies, industries, now have an opportunity to pivot moving forward, both in terms of you know health practices and you know trace safe and that partnership is obviously a unique one. But even in your business model, how do you look to pivot and come out of this maybe ahead? Because your business model, if we're being frank, at the best of times was extremely unique, being a team playing in a league on a different continent. What is the future of Wolfpack post this pandemic? Totally optimistic, for sure. I mean, um, prior to uh, our promotion, we signed a new agreement with Super League. And um, in that agreement, it did allow sort of a one-year review. And so we do not participate in television revenues right now. That is a very, very big piece of uh, revenue for us. So we are arguably uh, going after that in our new agreement. So that will make a serious dent in our costs. Uh, The model itself, to your point, Donovan, is that the team will probably always be in a lost position, but our owner is basically utilizing his other uh, investments to prop up the team. So 
you know, I'm confident that we can make a very serious dent in our losses now, and we are in a loss situation, and get that to a minimal number. But we're always assuming we're probably going to lose money unless there is a dramatic change. And it's just getting that number to a reasonable uh, amount on behalf of our owner. Bob Hunter is the chairman and CEO of the Toronto Wolfpack. We thank him for uh, his time and his insight. And Bob, uh, we hope uh, that there's a day in the not so distant future where we see you at Lamport Stadium. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Sports on Pause podcast. Thank you, gentlemen. My pleasure, and thanks for your support. Richard, in every aspect of my life, whether it is an athletic endeavor like going on a run and tracking and having that data for me to understand how really slow and out of shape I am, or if it's in my car and making purchases, I have GPS tracking literally in every device that I use and in every part of my life. So I actually would be okay with going to a stadium and having another device that's going to track what I'm doing because that's just part of my life at this point. Yeah, these are interesting questions that um, sort of combined uh, safety as well as privacy. And I think that's ultimately where we're pending in this, that, um, you know, in order to do tracking, and we've certainly seen this in other countries that have been very successful when it comes to fighting COVID-19, South Korea certainly standing out there, uh, you're going to need data and you're going to need personal data so that we are uh, in a position to know where potential outbreaks can come. And that leads us to our next guest, Wayne Lloyd, the CEO of Blockchains Holdings. So as our COVID-19 conversation continues to evolve, one of the things we've been focusing in on societally is less so about ventilators or even PPE resources. And now people are focusing in on contract tracing and maybe overcoming that as a way that we can get a little bit more knowledge and thus fight the virus that way, which is why TraceSafe and their partnership with the Wolfpack is fascinating to me. So let's talk to the CEO of Blockchain Holdings and president of TraceSafe Technologies, Wayne Lloyd. And Wayne, I'm sure people are a lot more familiar with your line of work now than maybe they were at the beginning of, of 2020. For you, what's this partnership with the Wolfpack? What type of opportunity is that for your business? Well, this is a really exciting opportunity for TraceSafe. Uh, historically, TraceSafe uh, was working with a lot of enterprise and government. Uh, this is the first time that we'll be working with a stadium. We're really proud to be working on something that can help bring sports back and uh, return fans to the stadiums. Wayne, I think um, something that'd be of significant interest to the people listening would be how uh, TraceSafe would work if they entered a stadium. Can you take us through the process from your perspective on if I was a if I'm a fan of a sports team and I walk in, how does trace space work for me? Yeah, it's very similar to, you know, from an experience perspective to going to a music festival or if you've ever been to a beer garden where you get a wristband on your wrist to show, you know, proof of entry. The only difference 
is that the wristbands can sense how close you are to the other fans. And so they can you know, know where you've been. And essentially, if there was ever a case or someone came down with COVID at the stadium, you'd be able to track who you'd been in contact with. So be able to notify who was in contact with that person. So essentially, it's very similar to uh, just an, an admission bracelet. In North America, we're trying to increase two things, increase the amount of people that are getting tests so we have more information and increase the amount of contact tracing that we do. Now, many places it's being done by healthcare volunteers, getting on the phone, calling people, finding out where they were and what they've done. How can technology impact the way we contact trace and make it more efficient? We see technology as a leverage point like so many things technology essentially helps you do more of something that people can already do and sports venues are very large places where lots of people are gathering and for healthcare workers to manually contact trace in that type of environment where there was say 10,000 or 30,000 people just be a heroic task so technology and the trace safe solution basically means that you can automate that process. So instead of making 20,000 calls, in the case of a stadium, you can the healthcare authorities can make one call to the stadium and the stadium can give them essentially very clear answers based on the, the platform. Wayne, what happens to the data that would be collected in a sporting event? So all of the data is anonymized in the system. So there's no one at the stadium that could tell who you were sitting next to or how much time you spent with another person. All that data is totally anonymous. The only time the data can ever be reached is by the system itself uh, using the notification system. So essentially you can see wristbands uh, and where they are in the stadium, but the actual wristband data is not connected to anyone's personal ID inside the platform. Wayne, I think one of the things, and I'm sure you and your team recognize this, is you know we live in an era now where people are very concerned about their privacy. They're concerned about their data. They're concerned about things, you know, such as bank fraud or you know credit card fraud, whatever you want to name it. You know, it's this is sort of the era we live in. How can your company, or sort of extend this, how can sports teams assure the public? that this data will not be collected for any other reason other than the reasons that you just cited what the data is being used for? It's a great question. I think that the privacy situation is mitigated with two facts. The fact that the wristband itself is disposable. So once you leave the gate, once you leave the stadium, you take the wristband off and it's no longer in operation. And it only works at the stadium as well, because there's no beacons outside of the stadium. This is a, a big difference between having an app on your phone. The app on your phone does not get uninstalled when you leave the stadium. So if teams were to take an app approach or governments were to take an app approach, we see that as much more invasive because you know it just lives on your phone and it's continually tracking you. The teams that we've spoken to really don't want a, a solution that's going to be tracking their fans outside of the stadium. It just doesn't make sense. So that's the first factor. The second factor is this technology was born 
in a more of a medical setting. Actually, the origination of TraySafe is it was originally used in maternity wards to track infants to make sure that there was you know, no mix-ups or, or anything like that. And you know, the maternity ward is the most sensitive area of the hospital, obviously. So both from a medical record standpoint, a systems integration standpoint, this system has stood up to the most rigorous privacy specifications, which are personal medical records. And we use that same, we transport that same level of care to the systems we've implemented for all of our other enterprise, government, and stadium customers. So as different sports leagues start to roll out their plans of returning, we have different scenarios that what quarantine sports might look like. You got some biosphere plans, some hub city and bubble plans, all a bit different in terms of how rigorous and how fluid the people within that quarantine bubble will be. What would contact tracing in this technology do for a league's ability to keep their people safe, but also maybe bring some more people in that they might not ordinarily be able to accommodate in a healthy fashion? So I think the first conversation starts with the health authorities in each region and what they want to do. You know, and we've seen the Wolfpack be very proactive as far as, uh, you know, they're really following the guidelines of, of the health authorities. And I think this just represents a entrepreneurial way to sort of be proactive in, in finding solutions to, you know, the new world we find ourselves in. I think that as far as social distancing, this could really help prove to the health authorities that, that the leagues and the stadiums and the venues are sticking to social distancing guidelines because you can see the data right there. You can see how many people that were not in each other's bubbles have, have interacted and, you know, they can go back to the health authority and say, look, we're doing a great job. You know, we've had this many people attend the games and there's this many social distance kind of incursions and, you know, can we carry on? And I think that kind of coordinated effort with the health authorities and the venues and the team owners is sort of the type of practical approach that makes sense to a lot of people, you know, start bringing back very small crowds see how it goes and sort of build up from there. I think it's really important to get sports restarted for, you know, lots of reasons, you know, and uh, this represents a very practical way to go about that. Wayne, um, you know, I realize you're not going to be able to sort of do some kind of uh, contingency planning with a sports crowd because I'm not sure when the sports crowds will be back, but has Trace Safe done this at all? with some kind of simulation, whether it's uh, was a concert in the past or some other gathering that you can point to that lets the sort of the public know that, hey, we used it in this situation, and this is why we think it would be valuable when it comes to sports. We're working with uh, Wolfpack to get some demonstration going inside of Lamport, and I think that's going to be a very important step. Secondly, TradeSafe is definitely a company operating at scale. They've shipped over 50,000 wristbands and deployed, you know, 50,000 wristbands in Hong Kong. So this is definitely a solution that's been battle tested at scale with many users uh, and lots of different deployment avenues. So I think the fact of whether or not it works or not, I think we're past that point. I think it's it's more of a kind of deployment and policy perspective. TraySafe is, you know, one of the you know, largest suppliers of uh, wearable safety equipment out there, particularly related to COVID-19. 
They're operating in many, many countries in the world at a governmental level, enterprise and, and beyond. So I think we're past the practical conversation and we're more into implementation. That implementation, Richard and I both work at a very busy building with thousands of other people every day. Whenever we get back to work, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility that someone who comes into that building for whatever reason would have been exposed to COVID-19. If we move and pivot from its application in the sports world to the everyday business world as the economy starts to pick up, how would this maybe apply to a business and its employers? That's a great question. And we're working actively in many other different industries, mostly using different form factors. So in an office environment, having a, a tracking or a Bluetooth beacon inside of a, the lanyard in industrial settings, sometimes the Bluetooth can go into the hard hat or into a safety vest or incorporate into other you know, sort of equipment that people are using. This is a great point because I think, you know, we've seen the community spread generally seems to be pretty low. And actually the workplace spreads seem to be uh, a new focal point right now. So that's a great point you build up. The We're working with lots of different places. Anywhere where there's lots of people interacting is a great application for TraceSafe's technology. Well, after hearing that, I would love to see technologies like this utilized more in everyday life. I'm happy that the sports world is being a leader, and Richard has a lot more pull than I do at Rogers, so maybe he can get it on our campus. <laughs> Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you both. I appreciate it. All right, it's time for the last word segment on this podcast where we try to provide you with something interesting, be it in the digital print audio broadcast space that uh, you can use to educate yourself a little bit more on COVID-19. And came across uh, a pretty interesting article on NPR, which is headlined, From Camping to Dining Out, Here's How Experts Rate the Risks of 14 Summer Activities. Obviously, people are going to have a ton of questions regarding what they can do, whether it's sort of backyard barbecuing or eating indoors at a restaurant or attending a religious service. And so this piece on NPR from Allison Aubrey, Laurel Wamsley, and Carmel Roth gives you a, uh, a pretty nice um, primer on um, what the risks are regarding some of the things that you normally would do without thinking about for the summer. Yeah, Richard, one of the risks I was looking at getting some information on is um, how do you manage working from home full time with a partner and a spouse when you are exact opposites? And so this next piece uh, that, full disclosure, super producer on this podcast, Dan Lormer, found tips for introverts and extroverts on how to manage daily life during the pandemic. No matter if you are an introvert or an extrovert, you are a listener. And for that, we say thank you. Please, please, please continue to stay safe. Take care of yourself and others.